0: Uh, before I get started, um, we started this last, um, Friday, but I want to ask you guys to, uh, actually please power down your phones. Um, it's something we started both on Fridays and Sundays. Um, and it's not that we're telling, telling you not what, uh, sorry. It's not that we're trying to tell you what not to do, but we're trying to focus on what's most important here, that God is revealing himself through his word and his preaching. And we don't want you guys to miss that. Um, because we know the moment someone turns on their phone, it's almost contagious. Someone else sees it. They think they can turn on their phone too. Um, and so especially like there's a handful of newcomers today. We want them to actually hear why we go to church, why this is important, why we think Christianity is worth sacrificing, not just Fridays, but our entire life for, um, that's a very, I guess, backwards thinking. And so, um, if you are, if you're a regular here, please, um, um, set that example and let's show what's uh, really important. Um, and yeah, I've instructed counselors. If they, if they do see phones, like they have full power to, um, take them and return to you at the end of the night. So, um, they're not afraid to do that. So just please uh, respect uh, the environment, um, as we uh, come before our God today. Um, so especially since there's a handful of new students today, um, I want to explain that we're going through the parables that Jesus taught when he was here on earth two thousand years ago um, Jesus would teach in very different ways a parable was a very easy way because he would use everyday illustrations um, to tell and illustrate a deep truth he'd use everyday things like plants and and rocks and the sun because these are everyday objects but he would use it to illustrate a very deep truth and uh, today's parable we see the friend at midnight it might seem like kind of a unknown parable, but you've heard it before, most of you. Um, And that's what we're going to get into today. And this parable, it starts off with the question, or it's it's asking the question, how does somebody pray? What does it mean for you and I to pray to the living God? Um, Obviously, none of us have seen the Christian God, a God is spirit, according to the Bible. So none of us have seen Him with our very own eyes. Can we actually talk to somebody, uh, a being that we cannot see? How is that different from say, maybe other religions, uh, what makes Christianity unique in its ability to relate to, um, our God. And so this is extremely relevant, not just for, um, Christians, but also non-Christians to understand, um, what do we believe in Christianity Ooh. and, before we jump into the parable, I want to give some context. So when Jesus teaches this parable, his disciples actually catch him praying. Uh, Jesus was in a desolate place and he was praying and his disciples are followers. They go up to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray, teach us to pray. And so we're going to turn to that exact passage um, today as we learn from the very words of Jesus uh, about how to pray. So, Um, I'm actually going to, before we turn there, I'm going to open us up in prayer. I forgot, forgot to do that. So I want to pray first um, to God before giving this message. So um, let me pray. Dear God, we, we come before you acknowledging that you are the God of the universe. You created everything, the universe, the mountains, the plants, the solar systems, and you created us. And God, you have revealed yourself through um, the Bible that we can know the one true God by looking to your word, by looking to your revealed living word. And I pray God that it would speak to us tonight because it has the power to change us. So I pray that that would um, be what happens tonight. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right. And if anyone needs a Bible, there are some in the back. Anyone need a Bible? We have some counselors. We have one back up here in the front. Anyone else need a Bible? I think there's one in the second row. Um, but we're going to, the other one in the front row over here, I think. And then one more, yeah, uh, second row. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And uh, maybe really quick, John, if you could go back to the PowerPoint slide and we'll go to the sermon preview on it, go through the structure of today. There's basically only two points today. Pray, how do, how do I pray, pray blank, and then the second one, pray with blank. Um, and we're going to see that. So go ahead and uh, turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses five. So what does it mean to pray? How do I pray? Let's see this first parable. Luke 11. We'll go from verses five to five to eight. All right. And he, Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Let's stop there. So if we go back to the PowerPoint, the first slide, uh, the first thing we're going to see is that we're going to pray persistently. If we can get to that next slide and praying persistently, as we see um, because God delights in faithful and unrelenting prayers. Um, I like to draw a picture of the parable each, each time. And so if you can go to the next uh, point, I have a a parable of imagining this parable, very simple. It's imagine if you go to a friend's house at midnight and you're banging on the door, of course, that's going to annoy anybody, right? If somebody called you at 2am, that would be pretty annoying, but Jesus is saying the persistence of prayer is like that friend knocking on your door at midnight. It's annoying, but it gets the job done because the guy who's sleeping, he's like, Hey, Hey man, my my kids are asleep. I don't want to wake them up, If I wake them up. Like we'll be up for hours, but because the friend is still banging on the door, knocking because of the annoyance, that friend will wake up and give him whatever he needs. In a very interesting way, it's fascinating that Jesus would use this example, but he's saying, just like that friend is annoying to his other friend at midnight, in the same way, you should persist in prayer to your heavenly father. When we pray, it should almost be like this annoying friend. We shouldn't be annoying to God, but we should have the persistency of a friend. Has anyone actually ever called you guys like past midnight? Any of your friends ever call you past midnight? Okay, <laughs> how do you guys actually answer the phone if it's past midnight? Oh, oh wow, these are good friends. <laughs> Honestly, if I see a friend who calls me at midnight, I'm like, all right, it can wait till tomorrow. And I you know, turn it over and I'm going back to bed. But imagine now if this friend kept calling you, you kept hearing your phone buzz. You kept hearing them like uh, second time, third time, fourth time. You probably think, okay, well, this is annoying and he's kind of an acquaintance. He or she is kind of acquaintance, but okay, I'm just going to pick up this call and um, see what they need. That's in a sense what our prayer life should be like. We should be constantly asking God, coming before him and being faithful in our prayers. And in this parable, Jesus uses a very interesting word. He says in verse, um, um, Verse, verse eight. He says, because of his impudence, the friend will rise and give him whatever he needs. What does this word impudence mean? In my ESV study Bible, impudent, impudence is the lack of sensitivity to what's proper. To be impudent towards someone is to lack sensitivity to what's proper, almost to be rude. Someone who is shameless in their request, um, who has no regard for their own dignity. I can think of one category of people who do this really, really well. Kids, they are so annoying, but also honest sometimes. You ever have like a little cousin, they go up to you and they say, what'd you get me for my birthday? It's almost like disrespectful. It's like, okay, brat, nothing. (laughs) But the fact that they asked you and you might be asked, okay, what do you want for your your birthday? They're like, I want an iPhone 13. Um, And you're like, okay, I don't know if I can get that for you. But the fact that your cousin, maybe he asked you, maybe you go home and you think, well, I will, at least I know what he wants. Maybe I should actually get him that. Like, maybe he would actually uh, appreciate that. And the fact that your cousin, uh, figuratively speaking, had the gall to ask you for that. It actually did something. He was rude. He, He probably was too naive for his or her own good. But there's something special about kids who just, they just ask. And sometimes they get what they want because they ask. And I think in prayer, what if we don't have what we want because we never asked God? What if we don't have, we don't get what we want because we never asked. We never thought God was big enough to actually answer our prayers, but prayer works because God delights to answer faithful, unrelenting <laughs> prayers. I want you to think about an attitude change. Imagine if you lost one of your AirPods, let's say maybe that happens a lot. What if you just said, okay, is it under the couch? You look under the couch. It's not there. Would you give up? (laughs) No, you want it. If it's your AirPod $250, you probably think, okay, it's not under the couch. Maybe my brother took it. If my, my brother didn't take it, maybe it's under the kitchen uh, sink, maybe it's out in the backyard. You turn your house upside down in order to find that missing AirPod because how much it's worth. And sometimes in prayer, I'm willing to guess when we pray for something and we don't get what we want, I wonder if some of us just give up. It's like, all right, God, I, I asked for a good grade in math, I didn't get it. Well, God, you just don't work then. You just don't really listen to my prayers. And then you don't pray to Him next time. And you don't really go to him again. That's not really a persistent prayer. That's somebody who tries once and they just give up. But what would it mean to be persistent in prayer? And it's why Jesus, he raises it up another notch. Look at verses nine uh, and 10. He raises up another notch. He says, verse nine, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And so the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is the core of Jesus' message on prayer, that if you ask, you will receive. Now, instantly you might be thinking, well, I know that's not true because there's a lot of answers or there's a lot of prayers that I prayed to God and he didn't answer. So Kevin, how can you tell me that whatever I ask, it will be given to me. That hasn't been true in my own life. Now to respond to that, you have to understand the context of chapter 11. After the disciples caught him praying and says, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus teach them how to pray by going through the Lord's prayer, which is you see in verses uh, two to four. And part of the Lord's prayer is that we ultimately in verse two, we see that we want Jesus' kingdom in his will to be done. And so when we pray, we should pray for his will to be done. And James, the book of James actually says that we don't get what we want sometimes because we ask with wrong motives. We ask for our own pleasures. We ask God, can I get an A on my math test? But deep down, you just want that A so that you could fulfill your own goal and you just leave God in the dust. You don't really care about God. You only care about what he can give you. And that's asking for something for your own selfish desire. You don't truly want God. And that's not love. If you only love somebody for what they can give you, that's not a friendship. That's a a leech relationship. You just want to leech off of them. But when you love God for who he is, that is love. You love the giver, not just the gift. And so we can pray persistently knowing that God delights to give us his best. And so I want to ask you guys how often do you persist in prayer? Maybe it's not the fact that God gave up on you. Could it be that you and I have given up on God? When we stop praying. Have we ever thought the situation from that perspective? That it's not that God said, "You know what? That situation's too hard. I'm going to walk out." maybe it's us. Maybe we think, you know what, God, I'm just not going to ask anymore. Cause I don't really see my prayers being answered. What if we were the problem and not God? I have some application points, things that we can take home to apply to our own life. If we go to the next slide, um, the first one will be the less you pray, the harder it is. I got this from a book, which is why I reference it. Um, in the footnote, I hate footnotes, Um, I'm sure you guys understand it from English class, but this concept, the less you pray, the harder it is. Prayer is a spiritual discipline and like all natural disciplines, like brushing your teeth. The more you do it, the more habitual it will be, the more easier it will be. But the less you brush your teeth, the harder it will be to keep it a habit. And similar with prayer, the less you pray, well, you shouldn't expect it to get easier. You should expect it to get even more difficult. But the more you pray, just like physical exercise, the more you be build strength, the more you'll build spiritual strength to pray more. Maybe you can only pray one minute before you get bored. That's fine. Everyone's got to start somewhere, but maybe in a couple of weeks it'll be two minutes, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes. We all start somewhere, and we shouldn't compare ourselves to maybe prayer pray warriors who can um, pray for long, extended periods of time. Our, our second point is that you can grow in prayer by praying with other people. I've actually asked your wild group leader to allow you guys to pray with one another at the end of your wild group, because I find that when people pray together, they naturally grow closer as they hear one another's burdens, as they cry out to the living God together. Now you should definitely pray on your own, uh, at home, like on your personal time, but there's something different about praying with one another. And this is a shameless plug to please check out youth prayer meeting. This is a very easy practical step to pray with one another. And it's honestly one of the highlights of my week because we actually don't get a big group. It's sometimes five to eight people, but honestly, it's one of the most enjoyable times. Um, And you don't expect it. You expect more people, more fun, but sometimes less people. That's where the good stuff is because you can pray and share burdens And you realize that we're actually growing closer together. We are asking the living God to intercede on our behalf. And there's nothing like it. It's often said that if you want to see the health of a church, look at their prayer meeting. Look at their attendance. Now that's not like hard science. I wouldn't say it's 100% accurate, but maybe it says something. Maybe it does say how much we don't or do prioritize prayer. And so maybe just check it out, prayer meeting next week. I'm not asking you to commit the entire year, but one time can't hurt you. We'd love to see you guys, and we'd love to grow closer as, a, as the family of God here. So that's praying with persistence. Now we're going to see the second way that we should pray, praying with assurance. All right, so let's read verses 11 to 13, what it means to pray with assurance. Verse 11 when uh what father among you if his son asks for a fish well instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg we'll give him a scorpion kind of weird verse 13 if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him so my mind when i read this parable i'm like huh maybe it's breakfast maybe the kid is asking his dad for eggs and what kind of dad gives his eggs, scorpions, and, um, and snakes? So my first picture, imagine what that might look like for an evil dad, which would never happen to give his son scorpion eggs for breakfast. This would never happen. If your dad poisoned you, call 911. Why is he in charge of your well-being? No good dad on earth, as sinful as he is, would ever try to poison you for breakfast. But in the next picture, every dad wants to give his son or daughter the best, you know, the the best breakfast, you know, two eggs and and bacon. Your dad might be, uh, your dad is not perfect. All of our dads are not perfect because we live in a broken world and they're sinners, just like you and I are sinners. But even a dad knows that it's good to feed your child the right things for breakfast and not poison them. Even a dad knows that you should love, you ought to love your um, your son or your daughter. And Jesus is making an argument. He's making an argument um, in what can be categorized from a lesser to a greater argument. Meaning if you love, some, if you see something that's lesser, how much more will something be greater? For example, if you love Knott's Berry Farm, that's like a lesser theme park, then you'll love Disneyland, which is a greater theme park. If you love French fries from Burger King—that's a lesser version. Then you'll love In-N-Out French fries, which is a greater version of um, of uh, French fries. And so Jesus is saying, if your earthly fathers, who are broken and sinful, can give good gifts to your children—a lesser version—how much more will God, your perfect Father in heaven, delight to give you good things? The perfect example. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Now I want you to notice what is the gift that Jesus says his father will give us in verse 13. It says the heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is interesting because in the Matthew, in Matthew's account, it says gifts, like how much more will your father give good things to those who ask him. But in Luke's account, it replaces that with the Holy spirit. You might be thinking, why does Luke emphasize the Holy spirit? Why, why that substitute? That seems like a very big switch. Like I want a good math score. I wanted uh, my loved one to get better from sickness. What am I supposed to do with the Holy spirit? Now think about this for a moment. If Christianity, if the core of Christianity is about being made right with God and dwelling with him in a loving relationship, because he has forgiven you of your sins the best thing God can give you is not a good math score, but himself. The best thing God can give you is himself. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Meaning the Holy spirit is a person. The Holy spirit is fully God. And so for God to give his Holy spirit to you is the best thing he can give you so that you and I as Christians can walk in step with the spirit Galatians five to keep in step with the spirit, to walk in unison, uh, and to align with the Holy spirit. That's the best gift that anyone can receive because imagine this, if God gave you an A on your English test, you'll be happy. I'm sure until you have another test in another class, and you'll be frantically anxious again. But if God gives you the Holy spirit, you could fail that English test, which our version is a 89, but you'll have the peace of God to move on because the Holy spirit is in you. If you walk in step with the spirit, you may never get the guy or girl of your dreams in high school, but if you have the Holy spirit, you'll be okay. Because you know, that joy in Christ, the joy of knowing the living God is a greater joy than having, um, a boyfriend or girlfriend right now in high school or junior high. If you walk in step with the spirit, your friend's situation at school, it might not get fixed there might still be a lot of drama but the holy spirit will guide you how to act in a living in a righteous in a holy way with your friends and you'll have the courage to do the right thing even if you lose your reputation get this from romans 8:11 if you really grasp this it just blows your mind romans 8:11 paul is talking about the holy spirit um within us verse 11 you can just listen to it if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He, God, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through spirits who dwells in you. You know what that means? As Christians, we believe in a miracle that Jesus who died rose from the dead. And this verse is saying, the spirit who rose a dead man from the tomb is the same spirit dwelling in your hearts if you are a believer. That same life-resurrecting, death-defying spirit and power is in you. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that is so much better than getting a good grade or getting into the ideal college. I remember having a seminary professor. He went to UCI, um, studied philosophy, And he talked about how his professors there thought he was crazy. He said, you're a Christian. Don't Christians believe the Holy spirit lives in you. And my professor would say, yeah, we do believe that. And he said, that's crazy. How do you believe a God is living in you? Ontologically, that does not make sense. Existentially, how do you make sense of a God living in our body? This is why Christianity, it doesn't make sense to the world. But if we believe the scriptures that when you become a believer, instantaneously, the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart through faith, and you have the power to live a Christian life with renewed strength. You won't be perfect, but you'll have that peace of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit, the strength of the Holy Spirit to live in new ways. That is so much better than getting a new iPhone. That's so much better than getting an A+. That goes beyond everything. And so my application as we pray with assurance is this, if we go to the next point, pray the scriptures. What does that mean? Let me explain that really quick. Uh, An author, Christian thinker, Donald Whitney, he coins this uh, phrase, to pray the scriptures, it is to read the Bible in such a way where you allow it to be a springboard into a conversation with God. Meaning you don't just read the Bible, you check off a list and you go on to do homework, but you read the Bible and you think, okay, it's a conversation starter that in response to the word of God, you then begin to talk to God in prayer. Cause that's really what the relationship is. God reveals himself to us through the word. We respond back in prayer. A really easy example. We just uh, saw Luke 11. We didn't read this, but Jesus teaches the Lord's prayer, which says our father uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so an easy way to pray the scriptures would be, When we read our father who are in heaven, you could pause if you're doing your devotionals at that point and say, God, I believe that you're, you're my, you're my father. And I want to remember that. Uh, I don't want to see myself as just a criminal, but I'm your beloved son and daughter. And God, I just feel really lost right now. You're my father. I think I ran out of batteries. Um, I'll turn this on if that's possible. Hey, there you go. <laughs> that pass off is amazing. If, if we believe in the scriptures, then everything we read becomes a conversation start. Like, God, God, I feel you hate me right now. I just messed up again. But God, you're my father. You're my heavenly father who forgives me. God, help me to remember that today because, Lord, I just feel like I'm gonna screw up. And so you just took our father who are in heaven And that became a springboard into prayer to talk to God. This will change and transform your devotional life. You'll no longer just read the scriptures in a dry, boring way. But every time you read the Bible, it becomes dynamic. Because that's what the Bible is meant to be. A medium to reveal what God is like so that we can respond to him in prayer. So my big idea for today, if we go to the next uh, slide, when we pray, we are not annoying a busy God who has better things to do. But instead, we are relating with a loving father who is eager to give us his best. As I close right now, I want to be frank and honest that everything I just talked about, it actually won't apply to many people in this room. To many people in this room, we don't have that relationship as God, as father, because to many of us, God is maybe still a stranger because to pray to God, we actually have to be in God's family first. Meaning we have to give our life to God. We have to be Christians. If you don't consider yourself a Christian to talk to God is like, if I were to go up to a, a street back there and knock on the door and say, Hey dad, Hey mom. It wouldn't make sense. I'd probably get called the cops on for being a weirdo. In a similar way, if you're not a believer, I actually would tell you, just forget what I told you about how to pray. I think the most important thing for you to think about right now is, where do I stand with God? Because if you go home and try to read the Bible and be a better person, that's actually gonna just, that's not gonna get you anywhere. The first step for the non-believer is to reckon with, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about Christianity? What do I believe about all the religions out there? And only then, if you recognize Christianity as the religion you want to commit to, the faith you want to commit to, then God changes your life. And then you're adopted into his family. And then all these things make sense. But if you're not there yet, then a lot of this might not actually quote unquote work for you because you're just not in that right place. You're not a son or daughter of God just yet. And you're here right now and you're wondering, well, I like this idea. I like the Christian God. I like the idea of having a loving father. I hear other religions and it's about work, 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 do enough good deeds to earn yourself into heaven. That, that, seems, that seems hard for me. I like the idea of a forgiving Christian God. Then you're in the right place. And for Christianity, it's not about our works. It's not about being good enough. Because the bottom line is we're not good enough. The bottom line is every person in this room has a front row ticket on our way to hell. Christianity believes that everyone is destined and condemned towards hell because of our sins. And that's the bad news. But the good news of Christianity is that a savior, God sent a savior, Jesus, to die for your sins. So it's not about how good I am. It's about how good Jesus is, who lived a perfect life for you. So all you have to do, well, it's not all you have to do, but it's very difficult you believe in him, you trust in him, you acknowledge your, your need for a savior. And the rest of your life is spent knowing him, following him, seeking to give him all the glory and honor. And that's the core essence of the gospel that we repent and give our life to Jesus because he forgives us. And I pray that that would be a conversation you could have uh, with your wall group leader, counselor, or your friends as we go, transition to wall groups. So let me pray for us right now. Lord, I pray that um, we remember that you are a heavenly father. You're not a distant divine being. You are not a annoyed friend. You are a heavenly father who exists outside time and space, meaning that you're never too busy for us. Every single one of us could be talking to you and you would have all the time in the world to relate with us. God, I pray that your gospel, the good news of Jesus, would be real would it would convict us where we are at. God I pray that you transform you tug in the hearts of those who are still wrestling with what they believe about the Christian faith. God you have called them here tonight for a reason maybe it's to further wrestle with that question and I pray wild groups could be a time that we could do that together. In Jesus name we pray Amen. All right. At this time, look for your wild group leader or people uh, in your team, and your counselor will know uh, where to go. All right. So we're gonna split off now into your wild groups. Um. Actually, John, could you display it the wild groups just in case people forgot. Oh, if you have, if you borrowed a Bible, bring it back to the computer and we'll take your Bible back. The back computer. Kind of where the the guy's holding his Bible. Joshua, Josh, all right. Group seven is in the front. Group seven is the front. Group two is on its way out. Group seven in the front. Group six is near the doors. What uh, do you mean here? Group three, uh, just come to the front where I am. Group three, just come to the front where I am. <laughs> group eight is, uh, look at the Alana with the phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. We should get signs next time. All right. I see group four near the first doors. Group three, we're going to stay here. Group three, we're going to stay here. Group one's also over there as well. And group five. Group one, four, and five, and... Three. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyone not know where to go? Otherwise, you guys can probably be dismissed. Joe, your name is Group, right? Okay. Oh, I think yeah, Group One over here. I right, Group One, follow Amy. Group One, follow Amy. Let's think, let's think. <laughs> Testing, testing. <laughs> <laughs> we can stay here, yeah. There's enough space. There's like... <laughs> maybe multiple groups. I think we'll at least like three or four groups. <laughs> <laughs>